The Gospel readings from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, on page 986 in the Church Bibles. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, uh, according to Matthew. Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of Christ. I'll just pray a short prayer before I begin. Father, I pray that you would come by your Spirit, that you would help me to speak, and you would give us all ears to hear your voice. Amen. Is my microphone on, Richard? Hmm? Is my microphone on? It is. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Sorry, Richard was waving at me from the sound desk. I wasn't sure. (laughs) Okay. In the summer of of the year 2000. I was sitting in an expensive restaurant in Brussels with some senior executives of a large company who, amongst other things, had a big stake in the manufacture of military and aerospace technology. And there were four of us, but I was like the new boy in the group, I suppose, the newly promoted UK director. And it was exciting. I fancied that I was now playing in the big league Or at least I got to have dinner with those who were in the big league. My new boss, his heart somewhat gladdened by a few glasses of very expensive wine, was waxing lyrical about how we were so fortunate to have been born when we were into the post-war baby boomer generation. That's the sort of people born between 1946 and 1968, 69, around that sort of time. And... uh, Because, he said, that we had been born into the wealthiest generation that had ever lived. You've probably heard that said before, and it's true. The baby boomer generation is the wealthiest generation that's ever lived. Now, as he was my new boss, and because I'd had a couple of glasses of wine as well, I felt inclined to affirm his comments and and back him up. But just before I opened my mouth... One of the other people at the table, a soon-to-retire senior executive, who I later found out was a man of faith, looked at my new boss and shook his head and said, don't you know that half the planet is living below the breadline? Well, to say it put a dampener on the conversation was an understatement. We all sat in silence in the, in the sort of the, under the sobering wisdom of this prophet of the evening. And I could sense my boss squirming, even though he was hiding it quite well. One simple 
challenging question had turned our cosy, wealthy, comfortable worldview completely upside down. And at that time in my life, I didn't have any vocabulary to respond, really. I was mainly relieved that it was my boss who'd stepped on the landmine and not me. But I was also convicted by the obvious implication that perhaps our wealth came at the expense of other people's poverty. And in a way, that is the kind of thing that Jesus is doing when he taught his disciples these Beatitudes, this passage that's just been read by Nick. Um, These verses in Matthew chapter 5 that begin, blessed are the poor in spirit, are the meek, are the... and so on. And they would have fallen like bombs being dropped onto the stage of first century religious thinking in Israel. Blessed are the poor in spirit? What? Blessed are those who mourn? What? Blessed are the meek? What on earth is Jesus on about? But actually, I think if we will allow them to, they can have the same effect on us too. Because if you think about it, if we were to rewrite the Beatitudes into contemporary Western secular culture, they would probably sound more like this. Blessed are the strong and proud, for they will win the most friends and influence the most people. Blessed are the rich and powerful, for they can have anything they want. Blessed are the upwardly mobile, for they will win the most admirers or the most followers on Twitter or whatever it is that we look up to. And okay, well, we might say, well, hang on, I'm not like that. But then what is it that we chase after in order to feel good about ourselves? I mean, perhaps for me, I'm a bit too wedded about the idea of church growth. I mean, there are some very good reasons why the church needs to grow, but is my sense of self-worth tied too strongly to the size of the congregation? Is my beatitude... Blessed are the vicars with large congregations because they will inherit the diocese of God. When perhaps it ought to be something more like, blessed is the vicar who helps someone to find God. Of course, the two are related, but in one the motive is good, the second one, and the other, it's about pride. Or perhaps for you it's the body beautiful. Do you strive for outward beauty? Now, I do go to the gym once a week, or twice a week. I started in September, and I'd never belonged to a gym before. And I had no idea, I had no idea before I went to the gym in September, that it would be the men spending more time in front of the mirror admiring their own bodies than the women. What a discovery. I mean, you know, the mirror's there, and you can see these men going... It is, it's, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to be a man in there. I feel like I should go and apologise to all the women on, the, on behalf of my fellow men. Or perhaps for you it's financial independence. Perhaps you're striving for that day when the mortgage is paid off, your pension is up to a certain level, and you can sit around all day doing nothing. Kirsty makes sure, my wife Kirsty makes sure that that will never happen to us because whenever we get any money, she makes me give it away. I'll never get that Harley Davidson. 
Perhaps for you, it's the need to be needed. And so your identity, your sense of self-worth is tied up in your children's future or what you do for others. Except one day, your children will leave home. And then where does that leave you? Or perhaps it's the need to feel loved. We all need to feel loved. But are we looking for it in the right places? In short, what do we really think it means to be blessed? What condition of life would we need to achieve in order to say, I am blessed? Are you there now? Or maybe you are and you don't realise it. You see, Jesus turned the world upside down with these words. He said, poor in spirit? You're blessed. He said, are you mourning? You're blessed. Are you meek? You're blessed. Really? Does he, what does he mean by that? And, and is it good news? And is it relevant to our lives? Well, you won't be surprised when I say that I think it is good news and that it is relevant to our lives. But let's have a little look about what he meant by these verses. The Beatitudes, as I've said, as they're known, they come at the beginning of the teaching recorded in Matthew's Gospel, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous teachings, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it contains some of the most uh, best-known phrases in the world. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. You are the salt of the earth. And much, much more. And, and like much of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes turn the accepted religious teaching of the day upside down on its head. Why was it so shocking? Well, based on the teaching of the Torah, which was the Jewish Bible of the day in Jesus' day, what we call the Old Testament now, the people had always understood that the signs of God's blessing were material wealth, health and success. Deuteronomy 28 lists um, all of the blessings to be obtained by obeying God's laws and commands. It says, if you obey the Lord, you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land will be blessed. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated. He'll send a blessing on your barns and on everything you turn your hand to. The understanding of Jesus' day is that that's what it meant to be blessed. Wealth, health and success. And yet Jesus here in the the Beatitudes says that the poor in spirit are the ones who are blessed. That those who mourn are blessed. That the meek are blessed. Just what does he mean? Well there are two words it's important to understand. um, to, to, To understand this. Firstly the word blessed itself. Because of course the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And the Greek word translated as blessed is here is called makarios. And it's different to another word for blessed, which is eulogio, which also means blessed, but in the sense of when we ask someone, when we ask God to bless someone or to, or to bless this. Um, that's not this word. The word here used for blessed is makarios. And it's a word that refers to an existing state of happiness or good fortune. In other words... The Beatitudes are not saying, if you do this, then you will be blessed. They're much more like a declaration that says, great news, you are blessed. So if we apply it to say, 
Well, let's take the third commandment. Blessed are the meek. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What it's not saying is, if you're as meek as you can be, then God will bless you in return. It's actually saying something much more like, good news to you meek people, you're going to inherit the earth. In other words, there's nothing to be done. It's already decided. The meek are going to inherit the earth. Okay? Are you with me? And for the first beatitude, it would be like saying, hey you, all you who are poor in spirit, be happy because you are already included in God's kingdom. So the beatitudes are an announcement of good news. They're not, this is how high you have to jump to be blessed by God. And the other word, so that's blessed, and the other word that needs to be clarified is the word kingdom. A lot of people tend to think that the phrases the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God refer to heaven. In other words, the place we go when we die. But it's really important to understand that the good news of the kingdom, which Jesus announced and taught more than any other thing, is that it's much more about the state of God's rule and reign in our lives and in our societies where we live. Ultimately, heaven will completely invade earth. But in the meantime, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? In heaven? No. On earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the heavenly kingdom is not just some future utopia which happens when the world ends and judgment is pronounced. The kingdom was inaugurated or started by Jesus and continues to break into the world through the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people, in the lives of God's people, and it will be complete at the end of history. But in the meantime, we are co-workers with God in bringing the reality of his kingdom to earth. And the good news that Jesus brought to those who heard him speak these words, the Beatitudes, was that those who were poor in spirit, or those who mourned, or those who were meek in heart, were already part of his new kingdom. The Syriac texts of the Bible, which is the closest language to the Aramaic that was spoken in Jesus' day, they translate them like this. The first Beatitude is translated as, happy it is for the poor in spirit that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is announcing grace. He's not telling them how high they have to jump to make it into God's kingdom, but that there's a loving God who knows their hearts and who already includes them in his heavenly kingdom. So finally, how is this relevant to us? Who are the poor in spirit? Who are those who mourn? Who are the meek? Well, firstly, the poor in spirit. Jesus' favourite book of the Bible was, any offers? What was Jesus' favourite book of the Bible? Hmm? Isaiah. I heard a couple of people say Isaiah. That's right. Well, certainly he quoted from it more than any other book. He saw much of his ministry described in the prophetic writings of all the prophets, but particularly Isaiah. And in Isaiah 66 verse 2, God says, These are the ones I look on with favour. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Those who tremble at my word. In other words, the poor in spirit are those whose hearts are humble in that they know their need of God's grace. What about those who mourn? 
The second beatitude. Well, Kenneth Bailey in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, explains that mourning in this sense is not just about grieving the loss of a loved one, although it could include that. It's much a more, it's a much more general term about our suffering, but also the grief we experience when we sin. Now, I'm sure you're not like me, but sometimes I'm careless and I say something that hurts another person, probably more often Kirsty than anyone else because she's the closest person to me. And it's because I haven't taken care to consider how what I will say might affect her. And when I see the hurt that I've caused, I grieve. I suffer as I consider my sin of how thoughtless I've been, of not being loving towards her. That's the kind of mourning that he means in this beatitude. And the danger is when we become so insensitive that we fail to mourn. Anne Frank, who was known in the concentration camps in the Second World War, in the death camp of Belsen, for the fact that despite horror being heaped upon horror day in and day out, she was famous for the fact that her tears never ran dry as she cared for those around her. She never surrendered to compassion fatigue. Right up to her death in the camp, she was able to mourn, to weep with fellow inmates, and in doing so, she comforted so many others in their suffering. Blessed are those who mourn. And the meek, who are the meek who will inherit the, the earth? What does he mean by that? Well, in Psalm 37, which Jesus would have known well, um, it tells us those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. It's a very similar phrase to the beatitude. And in this beatitude, Jesus is dropping a massive bombshell, saying in effect that it's not the rich and the powerful who are going to inherit the land of Israel, but the meek. And for the readers and the hearers of Matthew's gospel, many years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, they would have understood this to mean the whole earth, the whole world, not just the land of Israel. Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Rome that the whole of creation is groaning but will be liberated by the children of God. And the Hebrew word ani, translated meek, has to do with obedience in accepting God's will and guidance. That's what meek means. Obedience in accepting God's will and guidance. And so all of these first three Beatitudes are about our relationship with God our attitude to God. What Jesus is not saying is you need to be more humble, more pious, more meek, or otherwise you won't make the grade. What he's saying is that being part of God's kingdom is not based on worldly ideas of success, material wealth, celebrity, popularity, ability, or the gift of the gab. What God is looking for is a heart turned toward him, a person who knows their need of his grace a soul that sits with suffering people rather than avoiding them, a faith that trusts him even in the dark places, a knowledge that following Jesus will mean taking up our crosses and following him, but in the knowledge that he has been there before. And you know, when I think back to that restaurant meal in Brussels of the people who sat around that table, there was only one person there who was poor in spirit who mourned for the world, who was meek despite his position. And it wasn't me. The ironic thing is that it was just a few months after that meal 
that I prayed and asked Jesus into my life to forgive me my sins and to fill me with his spirit and to be with me forever. And as I've prepared this sermon and relived that night, I've wondered if perhaps that conversation was a catalyst that helped propel me toward God. Did it help me show my need of God? Did it open my heart to the suffering of others? Did it teach me that meekness rather than pride is the way of life? So let's, over these weeks, let's reflect and pray on these powerful sayings of Jesus and allow God to work in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Amen.